You know what? It is so good to be here this morning. I am so happy. And I would like to give a shout out to God this morning. Um, you know, I got five hours of sleep last night. So I feel really good. I mean, that brought my sleep total for the week all the way up to 17 and a half hours since last Sunday. Give a shout out to God. I'd like to give him a shout out as well for the prayers of my loving bride and everybody else and for Advil and coffee because they kept me going through 153 hours of work, 157 hours of work over two weeks. So praise God. Now, people tell me that if you don't get enough sleep, you might be hallucinating. Well, everybody will find confidence in this fact that Friday night, when I left the office just past midnight, I went home, I got a big cup of coffee and finished up our sermon through the night so that I could sleep last night and be ready for this morning. God is just so good. And you know what he did? He found time, even in the midst of all of that, that I might prepare a message for us today. And you might ask, why? Why did, was I so crazy to say yes that I would preach during this time I knew would be busy? Why would I commit to preaching in December? Because normally I tell Stephen and the deacons and stuff, don't even plan on seeing me in December. But why? Because God's word is important. It is eternally life-giving important. You know, this book tells me things that I desperately need to know about God, about myself, about you all, and about the world and the crazy situations that I find myself in. And because of this book, I was even prepared for the past few weeks because of this book. It prepares me for the situations of the unknown and for situations that are known. You know why? Because I know from this book who God is. And I know that even through all of this, whatever this might be, he's going to bring me home. He's going to see me through. So you know what? I am encouraging you. If you are not a regular consumer of God's work, word, you're missing out. i got to tell you that. And if you're not reading this Bible because you don't own a copy for yourself, I mean, you hear it week in and week out. Take one of the copies that are around, scattered around the church. Take it home. Put your name in it. Call it your own and read it and learn about this God. But I do want to suggest that you not take my copy. <laughs> because you know what? You don't want it. It's worn out. It's full of notes. I mean, I've got this bad habit of wearing out Bibles every few years, and this one is almost ready to be replaced and retired to the shelf in my office at home with all of those Bibles that came before it. Get your own copy. Get a fresh one. Open it up. Go home and read. 
God's word is necessary and it is needed. Today we're going to look at God's word. We're going to look at the gospel of John this morning. And as we're all turning there, and John is one of the four gospels towards the back of your book, but as we're all turning there, let's just talk a little bit about John, about his gospel, and about why he wrote his gospel. Now, we all think that John is likely the youngest of Jesus' 12 original disciples, those whom he calls or were called the apostles. And of the 11 original disciples at the, alive at the time of the crucifixion of Jesus, uh, it appears John is the only one of those 11 that was not martyred for the faith, for his, his belief in Christ. Tradition tells us that in, there was a failed attempt on John's life to kill him, and what that did is it resulted in him being exiled to a small island called Patmos. And on Patmos is where John, living in this cave supposedly, I've been there and it's a Greek Orthodox church right now, so I don't know if it was at the time with all the icons and everything, but supposedly from that cave, in that cave, John received the revelation of Jesus Christ, which is the last book in our Bibles here. Uh, he received it through visions and maybe even a trip to heaven, and it was from that book of Revelation that we recently, sometime I think in the fall, my, it's all blended together, we preached eight sermons, seven of which were sermons based upon letters to the churches that were around at the time that John received those revelations. That's a little about John. There's a lot more we could say. Now let's just talk about why John wrote his gospel. That's easy. That's the easiest part of all of this. Why did John write down what he did? Because John actually tells us. Now, we're not going to preach through the whole gospel of John today. That would take me way too long. I mean, it took me 80 weeks to get through Mark, and, you know, we don't want to do that today. But in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, John tells us this, why he wrote his gospel. He says, now Jesus did many other things in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John wrote this gospel so people would believe Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God, so that in his name they might have eternal life. Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. Maybe you've heard the Jewish people were awaiting their Messiah. They were awaiting the anointed one of God, the chosen one of God, the one that God had promised all the way back in Genesis 3.15, who he would send to redeem his people, to lead his people, to rescue his people, to restore his people all throughout the Old Testament. 
And I'll tell you what, from personal experience, I know we all need rescuing and restoring. I know that from personal experience because we are all sinners. And as such, there has been a breach in our relationship with God. And it's a breach that we cannot repair ourselves. Because of our sin, because of sin in general, mankind, we by nature are separated from God. We are children of his wrath. The Bible tells us that we are deserving of punishment and of his anger because we continually break his commands and do not put him first in our lives. I mean, he gave us one simple command. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And we break it all the time. And you know what? Honestly, there is no amount of so-called good deeds that we can ever do that are able to make up to blot out one of our sins. Be it a sin of commission or a sin of omission. No matter how hard we try, our sin is a part of us. And that's where the gospel comes in. John's gospel is a proclamation that needs to be heralded in the streets. And it is a proclamation that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He came and he took our sin and dealt with the sin problem we have. And he has reconciled us to God when we put our faith in him and believe, we are reconciled. And he has granted us eternal life. This book tells us Jesus lived the perfect life we cannot live on. And he did so on our behalf. So that God now looks at us and he declares us righteous. Not because of the things we do, but the things that Jesus has done. And this book also tells us that Jesus freely took upon himself as he made himself a sin offering. He, took, he made himself a sacrifice on our behalf, taking upon himself the punishment that was due each of us for our sin so that instead of wrath, we receive God's forgiveness and instead of punishment, we receive his glory. John wrote this gospel so we would believe Jesus and then go forth and live a life of repentance and faith as evidence of our belief. And if that's not you, you know, sometimes we say this at the end of the message, but if that's not you, if you have not yet trusted in Christ Jesus, if you are not daily walking in repentance and faith as evidence of your, your trust in our Lord Jesus Christ, then please, right now, today, put your faith in Jesus. i got to say this now because at the end of this sermon, we may not be here. We don't know what's coming. Put your faith in Christ. Put the faith in the good news that John will tell us about in a moment. That good news that points to Jesus being the Messiah who has come.
Now, there are four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic Gospels uh, because they prevent this similar synopsis of Jesus' life and ministry. I mean, as an example, most of what Mark wrote can be found in Matthew, and about one half of what what Mark wrote is found in Luke. Now, the parables, we've all heard about the parables of Jesus. Those are found in the synoptic Gospels. Not one of them is found in the Gospel of John. But what John does do is he gives us a prologue, which we're going to read this morning, and then he gives us seven sign miracles, they're called. And these seven sign miracles in the Gospel of John point to and attest to the fact that Jesus is, in fact, God incarnate the reason for this season. And it doesn't get any clearer. I mean, it can't get any clearer than in the first 18 verses of John who Jesus really is. And that's what we're going to look at. It's called, the the, many call it the prologue to his gospel. So all of that said, let's begin. John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not, made any, was not anything made that was made. Let's just stop there for a moment. In my past life, and I say it that way because it feels like a past life, I took 87 weeks and preached through the book of Genesis. Genesis also begins in the beginning, just like John does in the beginning. Now, our universe had a beginning, some 6,000 to 2.5. I mean, to 26 billion years ago, depending on who you talk to, all right? I mean, it used to be just up until really recently, science was saying 13.8 billion, but now we're up to 26 billion. You know, there's a lot of confusion as to the age of our universe, but I'll tell you what is not confusing to anybody that actually examines the evidence. Everybody that examines the evidence will tell you the same thing, the universe creation around us had a beginning. That is so clear. The beginning of Genesis, those three words, in the beginning, points to the beginning of creation. To the beginning of the universe. But the in the beginning, at the beginning of John... In John 1.1, that in the beginning points to a time much earlier than the creation of our universe. Much earlier than when God created everything that is seen and unseen. John's in the beginning refers to a time infinitely earlier than creation. A time when there was only God nothing else. This past fall on Wednesday nights, we did a study on the attributes of God, and the first attribute that we really sunk our teeth into was the aseity, or the aseity of God, depending on who pronounces it. We sunk our teeth into the aseity of God, that God is from 
himself, that God is self-existing, that nothing caused God into being and nothing will cause God ever to cease. Simply put, we learned God always was. There was never a time when God wasn't and there'll never be a time when he's not. Verse 1 of John, in the beginning was the word and the word spoke was with God. That in beginning is speaking of the time when there was just God. Now, a few minutes ago, I held up this Bible and I referred to it as the Word of God. So some of you might be saying, well, in the beginning when there was just God, were Bibles somehow floating around? And the answer to that question is no. How do we know that? It's because in verse 2, we're told, He was in the beginning with God. And in verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John is not speaking of an object when he talks about the word. He is speaking of a person. Ancient Greek philosophers looked at the universe, and they looked at how orderly it was. And they told themselves, you know, about 500-ish B.C., (coughs) you know, we need a word that describes the thought, the principles, the reasoning that makes this universe so orderly. And they came up with the word logos, L-O-G-O-S. And in its essence the word logos is it means that which lies behind everything it's kind of the final word concerning everything and what john is saying here is in the beginning was the logos and the logos was with god and the logos was god john is saying to his readers listen up this rational guiding principle, this reasoning behind the universe is not an impersonal it, but a very personal God who in his divine knowledge and wisdom spoke into existence everything, spoke into existence that which is behind it all. And then he goes on, he says, I want you to know that he is a he, and this is who he is. Now, you might be saying, now, who is this he? I'm excited. I need to find out. We're just going to jump ahead to verse 14 really quickly. And in verse 14, John tells us, and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father. If we were preaching through John, by the end of his gospel, we would clearly see that the word spoken of in verse 1 is Jesus Christ. Logos is Christ, the wisdom of God present at creation, 
It is the eternal Son of God, Lagos. God's Christ, God the Son, is the rational explanation of all of the order that is found in our universe. Christ is the one who makes sense of all things and orders all things and unites all things and sustains all things and the one who gives meaning to all things is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the earthly name of the eternal Son of God made flesh. I mean, John is making some very bold statements here about Jesus in the, you know, that he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him not anything made that was made, there is not anything made that was made. And you know what? That's a bold statement. But I'll tell you what, before John wrote this gospel, the Apostle Paul had said something very similar in Colossians 1, chapter 1. Let me read you verses 16 and 17. Paul said this about Jesus By him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. John is only stating what Scripture states elsewhere. Now let's look at verse 4 of John's Gospel. In him was life, and the life was the light of of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Uh, the Greek word zoe underneath that is the word we get them for life there, is the word we get zoology from, right? We're talking about all our physical life. Jesus in and through creation is the source of physical life, of our life. But there's more. If you read the whole, all of Scripture, you learn that life also refers to something more than this physical body that is wearing out at the moment. It also refers to our spiritual life, our true life, the life that we live once we are born again from above. I mean, the best passage that speaks to this contrast between life and death and being more than just physical life, we all know it's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, Stephen mentioned last week, he loves that but word. So do I. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Through Christ, we received our physical lives, and in and through Christ, we have eternal spiritual life as well. Now, in this prologue that we just, you know, we're looking at, there's also a contrast between light and dark. 
And John is, many ways, in these first 18 verses, pointing to what he's going to expound upon later on in his gospel, where in John 8, 12, Jesus will proclaim, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will walk, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know what? Since 1985, I have worked with light for a living. In the business that I manage, we have 30 specialized light sources. They're called lasers. Light amplification by the stimulated emission of radiation. Laser. Our lasers produce light from 1.06 micron to 10.6 microns. And both of these wavelengths of light that our lasers produce are outside of the visible spectrum. That means they're invisible. We can't see them. And the truth of the matter is, if you look at the spectrum of light, most light we cannot see. But I'll tell you what, even though we cannot see the light that our lasers generate, we can see the effects of that light upon the material that that light strikes. Phos is the, is the Greek word for light, and it's also the root word for photon energy that is carried by light. And the invisible light from our lasers, we see the evidence that there is light there when it strikes a material such as this one right here, and that light, that energy, that photon energy ablates the black powder coat away from this tumbler and exposes the nice shiny metal underneath. It actually brightens up the metal when that it's hit with the light. And that's all invisible light, but I'll tell you what, brothers and sisters. I think the same is true for the light of Christ. Even though we today do not see the light of Jesus, the radiance of Jesus, we still very much today see the effects of that life, that light upon us in our lives. The light of Christ today lights up our dark paths, showing us where we need to walk. The light of Christ today purifies our hearts, ablating the, the powder coat of sin on our hearts that we might reflect more brightly the light of Christ in and to this world. The light of Christ kindles the flame of our love for him and for others in our hearts. But there's a contrast here between light and darkness as well. I mean, a few times in my life, I've had the experience of absolute darkness in underground mines. The first time was in Sierra Nevada and uh, in a silver mine. And because of those experiences of being in absolute pure blackness, I can tell you two things about light. Number one, and the relationship of light to dark. Number one, even the smallest amount of light is able to overcome darkness. I mean, when you're in a pitch black mine, you can't even see your fingers right here no matter what you're doing. You can't see it. And somebody strikes one match. The whole cavern kind of seems to light up. You can start seeing things by that light. I mean, imagine if a single match can give such clarity and allow us to see things and light up. How much more 
Can the true light of the world, Jesus Christ, light our darkness and give us the visibility we need, the life we need? Now, number two thing I know about light and dark, (coughs) excuse me, is as long as light remains, it's impossible for darkness to overtake it. For it to be dark, light needs to be removed for darkness to prevail. My brothers and sisters, man, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we need not fear evil. For Jesus is with us. He will never leave nor forsake us. The light of Christ is always there for us. The life of Christ is always there for us. Verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. But, verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. In addition to John the Apostle's eyewitness account of Jesus that he's giving us, also he captures in this gospel that there was another John that was an eyewitness. John the Baptist was an eyewitness to Jesus and to his light as well. You know, and both accounts are here. We are told in these verses that all might believe. That all might believe. Believe what? Believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. That we believe that Jesus, in our names, lived the perfect life we cannot live, and then he offered himself as a sin offering uh, on our behalf that we might be freely forgiven, that we might believe Jesus died the death We deserve in our place. John wants us to believe time and time again in his gospel that by the time he wrote this gospel, the true light and life of the world had come. That a virgin had, past tense, given birth in Bethlehem. And when that happened, verse 14 tells us the word had, past tense again, become flesh and dwelt among us. John is writing this after the fact. Verse 12 starts with one of those glorious buts, those statements that Stephen referred to last week. But to all who did receive him. You know, we're told that some didn't receive him. Some did not receive the light. Some preferred to remain in death and darkness. But he says, John says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 
Again, John gives a quick glimpse into what he'll later write in his gospel. Like in John 3, where Jesus will tell Nicodemus, in order to see the kingdom of God, a man must be born again from above. Or like places in chapter 10, where Jesus will himself will say, I am the good shepherd who came for his sheep, and his sheep will hear his voice and follow. And still again, the prologue points to places like John 17, where Jesus will talk about it. He will say, I will give eternal life to all of those my Father has given me. Please go home, take a copy of the Bible, go home, read the entirety of John's gospel when you get home, and believe upon Jesus Christ, that he is truly God incarnate, the Word made flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. For John wrote this so that we would all believe. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 18, John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. Verse 16, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Two weeks ago, Dr. Terry Dorsett preached from this table God's promise found in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And last week, we heard Stephen preach God's promise from Micah 5.2. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. For from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. And now today, historically speaking, John confirms those two promises have taken place in the birth of Jesus Christ, the word had become flesh and was dwelling amongst us. Church family, my brothers, my sisters in Christ, it is true. Christmas has come. And it came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. Christmas did not come from a store. Or from me standing on my feet 15 hours a day packing stupid little boxes for what you all bought online. <laughs> Truly, Christmas means not a little bit, but infinitely more. Christmas came when God came in flesh. 
Christmas came with Jesus, the very logos of God, when the final word took on flesh. And according to John, Jesus is still our source of grace and truth today. It is through Jesus that we receive grace upon grace, undeserved blessing upon undeserved blessing, mercy upon mercy, steadfast love upon steadfast love, so that whatever life throws at us, we can and will endure by his grace until one day we see Christ's radiance as we bow before him in glory. I cannot wait for that day. And if you are in Christ Jesus today, you can rest assured that you have become a child of God, not by your own will, not by the works of your own flesh, but solely because God has willed that for you to be his child. Our salvation does not rest in who we are or what we do. It rests in God and God alone. And if you have not yet turned to Jesus in trust and hope, you can do so today by doing what John wants you to do. Believe all of this is true. John personally saw the glory of the one he is writing about. John's words are an eyewitness account of what John saw, of what he heard, of what he knows absolutely to be true. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises to his people. So no matter the condition of our hearts, no matter the depths of darkness in our lives right now, so no matter how dead we are in our sin or how hopeless or lost we feel right now, and no matter what we are going through, even if we do not have the strength in ourselves to get through it, which we assuredly do not, We can take this truth home with us. You can take this truth home with you. In Christ, there is wisdom for you. In Christ, there is order for you. In Christ, there is meaning for you. In Christ, there is the reason behind all things for you. In Christ, there is life for you. In Christ, there is light for you. In Christ's death, death has been destroyed And darkness has been overcome for you, for me. And grace and truth came to you, to me, through Jesus Christ. You know what? I'd rather give a shout out to God for that than any amount of coffee and Advil I've lived on. That is infinitely better than anything this world can provide. Now, after all of that, I should probably have some fancy like, now how do we respond to this message? (laughs) I'll tell you how we all respond. This is how we all respond. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, we may have life in his name. Let's pray. Father God, merciful mighty, holy, true, God of love, God of grace, God of kindness, God of wisdom, God of knowledge, 
God of steadfast love, we just thank you. We thank you that the light has come into the world. We thank you that life has been given us. We thank you that the word has been made flesh on our behalves. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for this season to remember Jesus. Help us to believe. Help us to believe. That's our prayer for today. And to walk in belief. In the name of Christ we ask this. Amen.